Hi, I'm Leola. I'm a sacred intimacy mentor and muse and the host of this podcast. Talk Tantra to Me introduces a playful perspective on sacred sexuality. My intention in this podcast is to integrate intimacy and spirituality, empowering you to reclaim your eroticism. It is my mission to inspire you to let go of shame, fear, and limiting beliefs to be present as your highest self in every moment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, let's talk Tantra. Welcome to Talk Tantra to Me. It is such an honor to be holding space for this incredible knowledge to make its way into your ears and lifestyle. Today, I talk Tantra with Dr. Lori Mintz. She is a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, professor, and author of Becoming Clitorate. Thank you so much, Lori, for being here. I am so excited to have you, and I've been appreciating your content so much in this journey. I would love to start by just kind of getting a sense of what was your path in becoming a psychologist that specializes in sexuality. How did you discover this passion and purpose? Okay. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, and that is a great question. Um, I was one of those kind of weird kids, I think, that always knew I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, We could unpack that um, in terms of, um, like many psychologists, I think there were some underlying family issues that I was subconsciously, you know, wanting to solve. Um, But I was also always just really interested in people and how they tick. So I always knew I wanted to be a psychologist. And sex was not even on my radar. So I went to grad school, I became a psychologist, opened a private practice, also teaching at the university. And for many, many years, I specialized not in um, sexuality, but in the treatment of eating disorders. And um, long story short, I mean, for anyone who has struggled, I'm sorry for your struggle with that and know that you can recover. And obviously body image is a huge piece of dealing with an eating disorder. So I certainly talked to a lot of clients about how their, you know, pain around their bodies affected them sexually. And then if to be really transparent, I got to a place in my career where I was pretty burned out on what I was doing. Uh And I had kind of the an existential crisis of sorts of what do I want to do with my life, you know? Um, and I, because I was a professor, I was needing to do a lot of writing for like journals, scientific studies. And in this existential crisis, I realized um, I don't really like writing research. I want to translate the psychological literature for the public. And then I was like, well, what do I want to write about? And all of a sudden it dawned on me that I was raised in an unusually sex positive household. Like, Mm -hmm. and I was always asking my clients about sex and my friends and everybody I asked had an issue. Like, and so I thought I want to write about sex. And honestly, that was the beginning of the journey. And I kind of did some deep dives into what was missing in the literature. And I wrote my first book, which was called A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, which was a self-help book for women struggling with diminished desire. And then things just sort of 
rolled from there. Um, I started um, teaching um, human sexuality to grad students, sex therapy. I got a job at the University of Florida where I started teaching undergrads. And that's where the whole idea of the orgasm gap, which is the topic of my next book, um, Becoming Cliterate, which you mentioned. And it really like, whoa, it, it spoke to me. And I started hearing my students' stories, their pain around this. I started teaching to women's pleasure, closing the gap, and I would get notes from my students. Thanks to your class, I'm orgasmic. Thanks to your class, my girlfriend's orgasmic. And I thought, I can't keep this in my classroom at the University of Florida. And that's when I wrote Becoming Cliterate. And things have just continued from there. And the more I work in the field, the more I write in the field, the more I, you know, talk, um, the more passionate I become and the more I uncover just the depth of um, the sexual problems in our culture that need to be fixed. Yeah, absolutely. And I can feel that we're all so grateful that you've done this work because I know so many of us, myself included, didn't really have that really empowering sex education, whether it was in the home or at school or at university. And now we're out looking for answers. So thank you for putting that information out there and and doing the work so that it's accessible. And I'd love to jump a little bit deeper into chatting about the orgasm gap. What is that really? So the orgasm gap is the opposite of orgasm equality, right? Um, (laughs) And um, the orgasm gap is the consistent finding, and it's a very, very robust finding in the the research literature that Mm -hmm. when cisgender men, so people born with penises who identify as men, get it on with cisgender women, people with vaginas who identify as women. And I say that because there's not research on non-gender conforming or trans individuals. So this research is with cis individuals. So when, and I'm going to use the word women and men in the rest just for ease, but that's what I mean. Um, When women and men get it on, the women are having substantially fewer orgasms than the men. Let me illustrate this with some striking statistics. In one of the first studies to um, examine the orgasm gap with about 800 college students, um, 39% of the women versus 91% of the men said they always or usually are always orgasm during a sexual encounter. Like, whoa, that's quite a gap. Um, Now, that study didn't ask the context of the sex. Was it friends with benefits? Was it hookup? Was it relationship? Subsequent research has confirmed that the orgasm gap is the biggest in casual sex. It gets smaller in friends with benefits. It gets smaller in relationship sex, but it never closes altogether, even in relationship sex women are having about one orgasm to every three male orgasms. So it's this hit to me, the orgasm gap that was more than just a statistic. It is like a hidden sexism that is in our culture that we don't acknowledge. We don't talk about, we assume it's normal and it's not, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a reflection of, societal problems and sexism. I'm not blaming men. I'm not blaming women. I'm blaming culture. 
Interesting. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing those statistics. Is this, when was this, when did people start researching it? Is it like, what is the data like in terms of when people started talking about this and like, are these studies super recent or? The first study was in 2005. So that's not too recent. Um, But the studies continue. I've conducted them myself. And um, I actually just published a review paper of all of the studies that have examined this. And they they span from 2005 to 2021. I mean, in this in the data, it's getting a little better, maybe, but not much. It's still there is still a massive orgasm gap. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think causes this? I know that you feel that it's this cultural sort of manifestation. What does that look like? How does that happen? Okay, so before I answer that, would it be okay with you if I tell you some, like, because some people say, no, 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 it's not cultural. Women's bodies are difficult or elusive. So if you would allow me to share some stats with you that illustrate that's not true, and then I'll tell you what I think the problem is. Um, so people say, oh yeah, well, women's bodies are difficult. They're elusive, hard to make us orgasm, all that. Um, but other data tells us that's not true. For example, when women pleasure themselves, 95% reach orgasm easily and within minutes, Mm -hmm. our bodies know what to do. Okay. Now people say, well, it's easier when you're alone, of course. But then there's data that looks at when women have sex with other women versus with men. And when they have sex with other women, they have way more orgasms than when they have sex with men. I think the most fascinating study now, I must admit it had only, it was a subset of another study. So there were only like 14 women in it, but I would bet my bottom dollar, we could replicate it on a larger scale. These 14 women identified as bisexual and they hooked up with both women and men. So this is the same woman, right? Her body is the same. And um, when she has first time hookup sex with a woman, she orgasms 85% of the time. First time hookup sex with a man, 7% of the time. That's crazy. Right, right. So what does it tell us? It's not our bodies. It is something about the way we do heterosexual sex. Mm. That's the problem. I I mean, there's other problems, but my opinion is that heterosexual sex revolves around the penis. It revolves around intercourse. We even use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same. We use the word foreplay as just a lead up to the main event. Um, And um, it's like we revolve in inner only four to 18% of women orgasm from just penetration alone. Yet look at any movie, mainstream movies, porn. They show women having fast and fabulous orgasms from just penetration without clitoral stimulation. So what causes the orgasm gap? It is our cultural ignoring and ignorance around women's most reliable route to orgasm, which is clitoral stimulation alone or coupled with penetration. 
And how do you perceive that we got here at this point? Do you think that this is a recent development? Do you think that this is something that a society, our society has been building over time? I'm curious if you have any insight on that. Yeah, this is going on, unfortunately, for centuries and centuries and centuries, except for a very, very, very brief period um, in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, there's some beautiful writings by other folks. Um, Rebecca Chalker is one of them. She wrote the book, The Clitoral Truth, and she documents that the clitoris has been lost and found, lost and found in history over and over again. Um, omitted from medical textbooks even. So um, I think the time is now to fix this problem, but this is not a new problem. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you perceive is the shift? Like how do we close this gap both culturally and also, you know, as individuals and partnership, you know, taking responsibility as, you know, females, women, people with, you know, vulvas, you know, closing it on that space, but also, you know, in, in the, the collective as well. Yeah. And that's exactly what becoming clitoris is about. It's a, it's a analysis of why we have it and, you know, suggestions on how to close it culturally and in individual bedrooms, culturally conversations like this using the word. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many people won't even say the word clitoris, like even though penis is so common, you know, it's it's calling out false images in the media. Um, and there's some great actresses working on that. Um, you know, it's, you know, really advocating for that cultural shift. Um, and in individual bedrooms, it is knowing that you are completely fine the way you are. Your body is fine the way it is. Um, most of us need clitoral stimulation. And, you know, masturbate, find out what you like. I mean, it's, it's, I have, it's a lot more complicated than I'm making it sound because of the culture, but buy a vibrator, get some lube, pleasure yourself, find what you like. And the most underutilized, but essential advice is get the same type of stimulation alone you get with a partner. So many of us did you know, here's another stat. I'm like, I think these stats really say it all. I love it. I love this. <laughs> when women pleasure themselves, less than 1% do so exclusively by putting something in their vagina. Yeah. That's not surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, of course. The rest of us do clitoral stimulation alone or coupled with penetration. Yet we get with men and we think, I don't need that. I'll just come. I mean, it's like, there's, there's like this disconnect. So I think that's the most, dis- and changing the script, if you will. Um, I know that sounds like, what's a script? What do you mean by that? Like the cultural script mm-hmm. for heterosexual sex goes foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse. Intercourse, male orgasm and ejaculation, sex over, women faking often. Change the script, slow it down. Um, foreplay, I hate that word. So let's just talk about getting ready, spending time on clitoral stimulation, take turns. She comes first, maybe with oral sex, for example, then he comes second with intercourse or enough fooling around that both people are aroused intercourse, then use a vibrator on her. 
turn or a very sound technique that sex therapists often recommend is during intercourse, take your own hand or a vibrator, touch yourself. That is not less sex than not doing so. So we need to educate people and we need to change the way we do heterosexual sex. Yeah, I love all of this. And I really appreciate your uh, emphasis on like, you know, self-pleasure as well and figuring out what you like. And I think that speaking from personal experience, you know, with myself and also the people that I've worked with, there's a lot of fear around like communicating as a woman to a man about what those desires are and how to get it and how to not bruise the ego of the man who just desires this surrender in some way, shape or form. And I'm curious what you think is maybe contributing to that epidemic in terms of maybe gender equality or, or otherwise. In terms of like, um, in terms of, I, I, I think like, I lost your question. In- I'm sorry. In terms of the gender inequality and like how we're able to even like show up to communicate our desires and ask for what we want, I feel like there's a piece of gender inequality at play here and how we're relating, period. Oh, of course. Like, first of all, um, most cis men don't have problems asking for what they want and what they want is so clearly portrayed in the media, right? Mm -hmm. You know? blowjob, penis in the vagina. But what's not portrayed is our clitoral stimulation. And there's even research that shows that women think asking for that is pushy. And, you know, and there that is gender inequality right there in the bedroom. Um, why is it pushy to say what you want um, when you're with someone? And I think it goes down, to, it goes to the depth of the problem of men's sexual pleasure being elevated as more important and women's being secondary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also this aspect of men or like, if, if there's someone that's giving an, ex, an, an experience and someone that's receiving an experience, if the receiver is to ask for what they want, there's this automatic assumption as the giver that I'm doing something wrong or I'm not good, right? Or I messed this up in some way, shape or form. And I think that there's a lot of power in this ability to shift the narrative to say that, no, like I'm sharing my desires with you because I want to receive them from you, which is such a gift. I want you to hold that container for me. Uh, and I see this so much in, in oral sex as well. And how we, how we see oral sex again as, as foreplay instead of, you know, a main act, what is, um, you know, one way that we could flip that to, to look at that context a little bit differently to offer a different experience for both men and women. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all part of the same problem. And the research shows that women are much less likely to receive oral sex and hookups than men, Mm. you know? That the idea that, oh, that's just something for relationships, yet women are giving oral sex and hookups. And I think we need to shift the narrative in terms of equally valuing women's and men's most reliable route to pleasure and orgasm, rather than setting one as, you know, more central than the other. Um, when when he was speaking, Dr. Peter Slavin speaking in terms of gender and uh, racial inequity in the healthcare system, 
said there can't be quality without equality. He was talking about the medical system and, and mm. our, but I think it can also be applied to sex that without, until we get equality, we're not going to have quality sex. And that's what we need to work for. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely resonate with that across the board. And you had mentioned a few um, like shows or actresses that are advocating for more pleasure centric in terms of the female experience. Do you have any uh, like shares in, in that space, any movies or TVs that you could recommend that people might enjoy in that space? Sure. Well, first of all, there's an Instagram handle. If you follow, if you're on Instagram called the clit test. And they literally, that's what they do. They pick movies that either pass or fail the clit test. So go there for more. But the person that I really, and I had the honor of sharing a stage with her to talk about this, which was such an honor, is Rachel Bloom, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the co um, the creator and um, co-creator and star of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She actually used the word clitoris on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and um, you can hear her talk about it on her YouTube. Um, she had to go through so many things just to be able to say the word on the show. And there was a, um, she did a song on that same episode called the buzzing in the bathroom about the vibrator. I mean, she really did a great job on that episode and she's been very vocal about um, the need to show women's pleasure on mainstream TV. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I will have to check out this clit test, see uh, what I should be watching to, to create that equality. Uh, you know, playing off of this more um, playful space, uh, what is your favorite nickname for the clitoris? I hear that you have an interesting answer for this. <laughs> I do have an interesting answer. So in, let me take a dive back if I can. So in, when I first started playing in my mind with the idea of becoming cliterate, like the whole idea started with when I realized that we have more nicknames for the penis than any other word in the English language, yet we don't even say the word clitoris. And I was sitting having coffee with a student and she was like, it's crazy. There's got to be a better word. And I just, all of a sudden I was like, oh, you know how we call the penis a dick? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, dick is actually a name of a person. It, we don't even, half of us don't even know that anymore because it's become so synonymous with penis. Mm-hmm. But it's short for, um, anyway, it's short for uh, Richard. I, and um I almost was like, what is it your for? Because we no one even uses it anymore. Yeah. So um, all of a sudden I thought we need a female name for this. So I thought Tori, because Tori, if you look C-L-I-T-O-R-I-I-S, clitoris, Tori is in the middle of clitoris. So I was like, I was actually going to label, name my book Tori, but editors were like, no one will know what you're talking about. So um But then that's a very popular name right now. And when I wrote a blog about it, people were like, no, 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 please. Like, I could never, like, what about my friend Tori and this and that? (laughs) So so then I came up with a different name, which is Cleo. 
Ah, Cleo in Greek means um, the key, which, you know, the clitoris is the key to women's pleasure. So I'm good with Tori. I'm good with Cleo. I'm good with just clit. I'm good with clitoris. I'm just like, let's just start saying the word. And there's even research that women who, and this makes sense, that women who are more comfortable saying the word clitoris have more orgasms. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that. And I love the idea of Cleo to me. That's very goddess energy. And to come into that, like I deserve this pleasure. I'm a goddess of pleasure. Uh, could be a really fun way to invoke that name into the space as well. Uh, that being said, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'd love like one or two things that, you know, vulva owners or women can do to, as an individual to take home from this, to close the pleasure gap. And maybe a couple of things that partners or men of vulva or partners of vulva owners or men can do to close the, uh, the pleasure gap. Yeah. And I really appreciate your inclusive language because this is really about all vulva owners. You know, the research is on cis women, but um, I've worked with, you know, a trans man who, you know, learned to, um, he, that he was calling it his little penis, but he learned to love his clitoris, you know, Mm. his former clitoris. So, um, okay. So here's some take homes for people with vulvas. First of all, if you need clitoral stimulation, totally fine. Welcome to the rest of the 96% of us. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, stop saying you're wish you didn't, or you're so unlucky, or those 4% are the lucky ones. Shift your attitude. This is how our bodies work. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Um, use your mind a um, couple ways. Like really talk to yourself that your pleasure is equally important. Also, another reason we didn't talk about why so few people with vulvas orgasm is a lot of us are up in our head. How do I look? How do I do? Is he having fun? Is she having fun? Am I going to orgasm? Do I look good? Do I smell good? Well, that you can't have an orgasm doing all that stuff. So practice mindfulness in your daily life and then apply it to the bedroom. Masturbate, 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 find out what you like. And then communicate that with a partner and get the same type of stimulation alone. So those are the tips for vulva owners, for penis owners. Let go of the idea that your penis is essential to her pleasure. And while that can be an initially bitter pill to swallow, um, frankly, it is to your benefit because you'll enjoy sex more. You won't have all that pressure to last long and thrust hard ask your partner, every clitoris likes to be touched a little differently. Ask your partner, say, your pleasure is important to me. Will you tell me or show me how you like to be pleasured? Yeah, absolutely. Really good take-homes there, Uh, you know, especially, you know, chatting about someone that's a partner of a vulva owner, creating the space for like comfortable conversation, you know, asking things that are easy to answer, like yes or no questions. Does this, or how does this feel, you know, or does this feel okay? Like this is, is definitely something that, um, sounds a little bit hard to swallow at first because there's so much pressure on the situation of sexual intimacy to be very spontaneous. 
Um, but once you have the foundation laid, then you have so much more opportunity because you're, you're unlocking a whole different door for both of you, which is super incredible and exciting. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to close out with just a couple more questions here. One of which is obviously your book is becoming clitorate and the, cl- uh, the clitoris is so important for feminine pleasure. Uh, I'm curious how this overlaps with other types of, you know, orgasmic potential, including things like, you know, the G spot or the urethral sponge or the cervix. Do those uh, show into this work or the studies at all? Okay. So those are big questions. (laughs) Um, it's a, it's a whole thing. Okay. So the G spot is, is I'm glad you talked about the urethral sponge. The G spot is not a spot in the vaginal wall. It's called the clitoral urethral vaginal complex. And it has parts of the vagina, parts of the clitoris, parts of the urethra. Um, and we do know that some vulva owners find it and they love it. Some can't find it. Some find it and don't like it. Mm. Um, So it's not this holy grail inside your vagina that everybody has to find. Um, Number two, the cervix. There are very, very few rare women who like to be stimulated there. Most, most people with vulvas find that extremely painful. In mm. fact, and the penis hitting the, the, um, the cervix is one of the biggest causes of painful sex, because when you're aroused, your, your cervix pulls up and out of the way. And if you have penetrative sex before that happens, the penis can hit the, um, the, um, your, the cervix. Also, some women like breast stimulation. Some women can think themselves to orgasm. So, but what has happened, in my opinion, is that we discover all these ways women can orgasm. And then the media sets it up like, this is the best way. This is a good way. You should try this. Everybody should do this. And Sure, have fun, experiment, but we don't, if for the vast majority of us, clitoral stimulation is involved, don't ignore that. Um, And if it isn't, fine too. But what I want to point out is we don't do this with male orgasms. From a feminist cultural perspective, we don't have articles on the 20 ways men can orgasm we don't even differentiate linguistically between like the way you're being stimulated. We don't have like prostate orgasms, blowjob orgasms, intercourse orgasms. We just say orgasm. It's only when it comes to women's orgasms, do we label by the point of stimulation and then set up a hierarchy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such an important thing to touch on, especially going into spaces with Tantra that are also involving spirituality and then saying that, you know, different parts of our bodies have different archetypes and it can all be very powerful, but there is no wrong or right way to be in pleasure. And what's almost the fun, the most fun part for me is to try it all and to incorporate different things. For me personally, I find that 
putting, putting one or two or three things together into the pot of stimulation, uh, can be the most exciting. And so allowing yourself to be open to the different types of touch, but not to expect it to be something because everyone's body is really different. And, and that's the the beautiful thing. Experiment, open yourself up. But if you can't find your G spot or you find it and you don't like it, don't, don't, don't diminish yourself. That's what, Mm -hmm. that's really my message. Yeah, absolutely. The right way. Absolutely. Cool. And, you know, kind of going to the other end of that, what would you recommend if you have any tips or advice for, you know, vulva owners that feel like they really struggle to orgasm? Maybe they've never orgasmed. Okay. Tongue in cheek, read my book. I mean, honestly, um, (laughs) that's what the whole book is about. How to orgasm or read Betty Dotson's book, Sex for One. Um, like you will learn all the tips and the techniques. Um, but the most essential thing is buy yourself some lubricant. Vulvas aren't meant to be touched dry. Spend some time with yourself, touch yourself, experiment, breathe, move. Mm-hmm. Eventually buy a vibrator. Eventually you will orgasm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And also coming back to that, that idea that you had mentioned a few questions ago about the mindfulness piece. To me, if you have a distracted mind, you're going to be having a distracted uh, sexual experience, which means that you're not going to be fully present for that pleasure to come through, which is, you know, such an integral piece as well. Absolutely. Practice mindfulness in your daily life and then apply it to the bedroom. And I'm guessing you've spent lots of time on that topic here before, but the one thing I like to say about mindfulness is it's it's simply explained as putting your mind and body in the same space and time. Mm-hmm. And so many times our body is in one place and our mind is somewhere else. We could be receiving oral sex and thinking about that email we have to return or do I smell okay? And, um, and mindfulness doesn't mean that you're always present. I mean, that no, none of us are. It's impossible. But because our minds just can go backwards and forward, that it's. But what mindfulness teaches you to do is notice quicker when it mm-hmm. wanders and bring it back. And once you learn that in life, you can learn it in bed. And mindfulness is truly sex's best friend. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. We forget that our brains and our, and our minds are wired to be thinking and to be constantly aware of our environment. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but you can shift the focus instead onto what's happening in my body instead of what's happening outside of me. Uh, you know, I I know for myself, I often used to struggle a lot with, focusing on like, well, when is the orgasm going to happen instead of just being in the pleasure that was happening in the moment that was likely going to naturally lead me there anyways. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And one little piece of research maybe to end with that I think is very compelling. The latest brain research shows that the state of mind that you're in, if they do MRIs of your brain, Um, right before orgasm is the same state with deep mindfulness meditation. It, that you're part of your conscious self-conscious self-monitoring brain turns off. So being able to not monitor, to be in your body, to be mindful is the prerequisite. Mm 
for orgasm. Yeah, that's incredible and so empowering. Thank you for sharing the science behind that. I I feel like I knew that was true in my body and from my experience, but I love having uh, people like you on the podcast to really bring the you know the research into this space to create the evidence, which is so empowering. So thank you for that. Closing out with a couple of questions: What awakens your arrows? What turns you on? What makes you feel erotically alive? Um. We're talking like actual erotically alive. Um, you know, I love to see where people go with this question. It's a bonus question. I ask everyone this question. So, okay. so in my life, it's conversations like these empowering people sexually in the bedroom. It's some lube, my partner and connection and a little bit of vibration. I love it. Beautiful, simple. And where can listeners find you or support you? Um, please, you can go to my website, which is www.drlauriemintz.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z. And from there, you can find links to all of my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all with the same handle, Dr. Lori Mintz. And my books are available wherever books are sold, um, indie bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. Amazing. Great. And I will definitely be linking all of those things uh, in the show notes. So uh, if people are wanting more, they will definitely be able to find you. And thank you again, Lori, for joining me today. And I also want to express my gratitude to the listener. Thank you once more for opening yourself up to the idea of sacred sexuality. With so much gratitude and love, have a sexy and spiritual day. And I'll catch you next week on Talk Tantra to me. Ta-ta.